Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. My name is G. Mark Hardy, and today we're going to look at a skill that can help you come across like a seasoned C-level officer. This is something that's really taught in our profession, and mastering this topic can differentiate you among your coworkers. Of course, other people appreciate if you master it as well. And so as always, please follow us on LinkedIn and make sure you subscribe so you can always get the latest updates. Well, there are a lot of behaviors that represent what are sometimes called soft skills. A lot of times we downplay these in the tech industry, but the more senior you become in an organization, the more essential it is to have them. Now, there's a lot of things that can be perceived as soft skills. There's time management, creative thinking, networking, conflict resolution, empathy, communication skills, etc. Let's just say there's a lot of things all of us can do better to improve our skills as a leader. But today, we're going to be talking about what seems like a simple topic, but it can have a significant impact on a number of your coworkers. It's about how to run effective meetings. Now, listen to this. According to an article in Organizational Dynamics, the average manager spends about 23 hours a week in meetings. Now, I'm sure you consider yourself well above average. That adds up, by the way, to about $425 billion annually. Now, if you think that number isn't realistic, consider downloading the Harvard Business Review Meeting Cost Calculator. You can Google that. You'll find it. It allows you to add up the hourly rate for all the participants to figure out the cost of your meeting. And Oh, by the way, when you're putting in those hourly rates, don't forget overhead. Sarah Goff DuPont asks in the Atlassian blog if you should aim to have an efficient meeting or an effective one. Well, an efficient meeting involves a minimum of people, starts on time, stays on track, achieves the stated objective. But it doesn't mean that the right people were included or that the objective generated has any business value. An effective meeting includes the right people for a proper purpose and delivers a tangible result, which is then shared with others. Now, you want both, but effectiveness is more important, in my humble opinion. That means ensuring that the right people are in the meeting and only the right people. I mean, have you ever been distracted by somebody zoning out or checking email or watching cat videos because they had no valid reason to be there? In today's work, remote work environment, it's a little bit different. But if you're running a meeting and if you're in charge, have people turn their cameras on and leave them on. Participants are less likely to want to appear distracted if others can see what they're doing. And of course, if you're going to stand up, please ensure you're dressed appropriately, even if you're working at home. <clears throat> All right, we'll just leave it at that. Now, there's a fun poster entitled, Why Do You Want to Call a Meeting? And you can find that at Atlassian.com slant effective meetings. And it offers a flowchart for whether or not a meeting is appropriate. Hint, most of the time it's not but feel free to go ahead and uh, look for that link, download it, and see if that helps your thinking. Now, how do you know if you just sat through a bad meeting? Think for a moment. You probably feel frustrated, exhausted, restless, disappointed, bored. But then what happens after your bad meeting? Your energy's drained. You might have trouble getting back in the groove. You need time to unwind before you engage in the next required activity. You probably aren't excited about engaging with those boring and uninspiring participants and follow-up actions. In short, a bad meeting has impact far beyond its own time frame. 
Steven Rogelberg writes in the MIT Sloan Management Review, quote, poorly run meetings have a tremendously negative impact on team success, innovation, creativity, and on individuals' well-being and stress. In fact, experiencing a poor meeting can even result in a meeting recovery syndrome, where employees lose additional time and productivity mentally recovering from a bad meeting. Now, let me share with you kind of a recent story. I do a lot of public speaking and presenting, and there was a meeting for speakers. They went over how to use their online presentation tool. Now, it was a new tool that I hadn't used before, so I dialed in. I figured, okay, five minutes, show me how start, stop, share slides, mute, unmute, good to go. Oh, my goodness. 45 minutes of aimless, leaderless start and stop. What about this? Maybe we should do that. No, 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 let's do that. Ah, what a colossal waste of time. And there had to be almost 20 people on this call. No one was really in charge. Different people tried to take control. There's no agenda. And the thing that annoys me the most, maybe it's a personal pet peeve, but maybe it's one of yours as well. Let's wait a few minutes for those who might be late. No, no, no. You should run your meetings like they run the trains in Switzerland. And the clock clicks to zero, zero, boom. It, doors close and off they go. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Now, there's got to be a better way, and there is. Now, if we go back to the Organizational Dynamics article, we find out that meetings have pre-meeting inputs, within-meeting processes, and post-meeting outputs. Now, if you're responsible for meetings or if you're frustrated with poorly run meetings, consider perhaps the following guidelines. In your pre-meetings, in your setup, make sure your room is appropriate. you got lighting. If it's going to be face-to-face -face and it's going to last anything more than a few minutes, have some refreshments, even just water. Keep the meeting as small as possible, but make sure you invite all the relevant attendees. And, of course, start on time. Put out a written agenda in advance so people know what's going on and they can prepare for it and have some clear goals for that meeting. And ideally... You might want to have a little bit of pre-meeting talk or socializing. Now, the thing is, if we lurch from meeting to meeting, and I know you've been there before, where it's, hey, it's 10.58, I got to get to 11 o'clock. And then when you just hard stop in one, you go right into the other, you roll in a little bit late. That's tough because you don't get a chance to kind of chat. And some people who got there five or six minutes earlier may have already had a chance to socialize a little bit. And as a result having your meetings go hour to hour instead of perhaps ending at 50 minutes before, you know, after the hour, you know, 10 minutes before, not doesn't give people time to get to the next item. Think about that. Now, during the meeting, you want to encourage everyone to participate. If people are not participating, if they're not engaged, then why are they there? You might have over-invited. And if there are people who need to be there and they're not participating, you want to find ways to get their participation, get them to go ahead and contribute, maybe ask specific questions, uh, but open-ended questions to get people to start talking. There are natural introverts out there who are not going to lean forward and just start going. And of course, we have the opposite, the natural extrovert that tries to dominate the meetings. Well, somewhere in between is a happy medium. And what we want to do is create a positive environment where everybody feels that their inputs are valued. Uh, make sure you keep track of time. And one of the things I do is I like to keep what I call a parking lot. And the parking lot allows us that if ideas come up, 
and we have not allowed time for them, let's write them down. It could be on a flip chart, it could be on a whiteboard, or even just taking notes. And what you want to do is you want to express to your participants that, hey, your ideas are valid, but we will focus on the agenda as published. We will come back to your ideas, either at the end of the meeting, if there's time, or we'll schedule a future follow-on. But let people feel that if they're contributing something and it turns out it really is useful, that you can do it. Now, a lot of times what I found out is stuff that goes into the parking lot kind of goes there and later just sort of dies out. People later realize, yeah, I thought I was sounding smart at the time, but it really wasn't that smart of an idea. And then off it goes. But also keep meeting minutes. One of the tricks, and I'll tell you a little bit more about how I used to do that, is I'd take the minutes right inside the agenda. And if you had that as an open document, it's a little bit easier because now you're not building it from scratch. Now, after the meeting, what you want to be able to do is determine whether or not you've got any consensus or decisions or follow-on actions that came out of it. If a meeting doesn't produce a delta from what you started with to where you ended with, probably wasn't very effective, was it? And as a result, what you want to be able to do is ensure that if your meetings are not producing a meaningful result, that you either restructure what they're doing or maybe get rid of them entirely. Now, I remember back in the day, uh, this is going like a while, back when banks and other organizations would produce reports, and this wasn't a meeting thing, but uh, back in the old mainframe days, we would uh, produce these fanfold green and white paper reports coming off the line printer that were generated. And so this particular bank I was working at decided to do a zero-based review because they were producing fantastic numbers of reports every week. They would go through cases and cases of paper. And so what they did then is they basically went out and they advertised. Everybody said, please let us know if you want this report. If not, we're going to stop producing it as of three weeks, two weeks, one week, boom. Turned out about 85% of those reports weren't even used anymore. They weren't being read. Someone had started it. They turned it on. They left it on. The purpose was long since gone, but nobody told the people who were generating reports. And so they were able to significantly cut back the workload and, of course, all the waste that was involved. Now, extend that to the meeting world. Are there meetings that are still going on that aren't really producing anything of value? Be realistic about it. Yeah, it's great to have a meeting. Remember the, the posters used to say, it says, bored, need something to do, want to avoid work, hold a meeting. It's a great place to meet, don't meet people, eat donuts, goof off, etc." Wrong reason, of course. And then ultimately what we're looking at is, do your people walk out of your meetings feeling energized? Like they have a sense of direction. And as a result, what you're able to do is have a more effective um, business tool. Now, Rogelberg, who I mentioned before, suggests that remote meetings can be improved when you, in advance, don't overinvite. You heard about that. Set your time properly, have a, a nice, good video. I'm sorry, a good agenda, and then use video. As I said before, turn the cameras on, let people leave their cameras on. They're going to feel more engaged because you can actually see the other folks that you're interacting with. During the meeting, start and end on time. Start the meeting well, have a nice, clear beginning, have some norms in terms of communications. What are people allowed to do or should be allowed to do and not allowed to do? And actively facilitate. Don't just sit back and let it run away. And if you have tools, use them. And at the end of the meeting, end well and then ask for feedback. So your goal as a leader is to run meetings that inform, solicit inputs, and drive outcomes. And your professional reputation includes your meeting foo, if you will. Now, I had a friend of mine 
I work with in the Navy, he would show up for like a 10-minute meeting with 45 slides. Now, if you were a subordinate, you had to sit through and your 10-minute meeting went to 40, 50, 60 minutes. But if you're a senior, guess what you do? You end up kicking the guy out of the meeting after a while. And so that reputation ended up hurting him career-wise because everybody knew when this person showed up that tried to pack 45 minutes worth of information into a 10-minute meeting and could, could not, just could not get to the point. So think about it. If it's not to the point, don't include it in the meeting or put it in a pre-read. Send it out. But if you want to have an effective meeting, there's five absolutes. Number one, distribute an agenda in advance. Now, that allows people to properly prepare for the meeting. And when I say in advance, I don't mean five minutes before the meeting either. Now, I'll give you some ideas about how to grow your agenda and how that can accumulate, particularly for recurring meetings. But having that agenda in advance then allows a structure for your meetings and make sure that your goals are well known. Start on time. Please respect the time of others. If you show up for my meeting on time, I respect you and I will start on time. Take notes and you want to memorialize decisions, future requirements, follow-on actions, etc., and then assign meaningful follow-on tasks using what we call a SMART algorithm. And I'll explain that in a moment. And then please end on time. End early if you have to, but never go long. Now, I'll tell you another hint about that in a moment, about prioritizing your agenda to ensure you can always end on time. When you assign follow-on tasking, consider the, algorithm, or the acronym SMART, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. And SMART then allows us to have a checklist to ensure that what we're doing makes good sense. Now, there's a summary on mindtools.com website. You can kind of, again, Google search for that and then SMART. And what you'll see then is a decomposition of this. On the specific, the S, your goal should be clear and specific. Otherwise, you won't be able to focus their efforts or motivate people. So when drafting an action item or even a goal, answer the five W's. What do you want to accomplish? Why is it important? Who is involved? Where is it located? And which resources or limits are involved? Now let's apply this to a larger scale goal and just a meeting follow-up because I want this uh, presentation to, to be of career value to you as well. So imagine you're currently a security manager, you'd like to become a CISO. So when setting a specific goal, it could be quote, Something like, I, don't, I want to gain the skills and experience necessary to become a CISO of my organization so I can build my career and lead a successful team. Now we know what you're doing. You're not just taking another course. You're not just putting in the time. You are aiming to gain skills and experience to become your CISO. Now, for a meeting, you're probably not going to assign something like that, but your specific task may be something such as, please go ahead and investigate these three vendors and come back with prices by next weeks so we can evaluate which one we want to obtain. Make your goals or your assignments measurable. You can track progress. If you can't measure it, you can't track it. And if you can't track it, then how do you know that you've achieved it? Measurable tasks should answer things such as how much, how many, how do you know when it's accomplished? For a meeting assignment, for it's measurable, as I said before, you might want to say, have three to at least three vendors get their full quotes. Let me know what it's going to be for a year. And let's say we're looking at something, I don't know, an EDR solution or you know, whatever it happens to be. 
have something that you can measure so a person knows when they got there and said, go get me some quotes. Well, how many? And uh, for how long? And for what involved? Be able to go ahead. If you're talking about a personal goal, you might measure your goal of acquiring the skills to become a CISO by determining you'll have the necessary training and the experience within, let's say, five-year time or three-year time because things move pretty quickly. How about is it achievable? We want to have something that is realistic and attainable, but still possible to do. Now, achievable tasks means it's within the scope of a person's ability to do something. If I have a brand new employee who's just, you know, maybe just has their, their first and only Security Plus certification, and you say, okay, fine, I want you to go ahead and design an enterprise security architecture for this acquisition target that we're looking at. It's not going to happen. That's not achievable. But there are people who can do that. So what you want to do is make sure that this person to whom you're assigning tasks can accomplish the goal. And then is it realistic based on other constraints, such as you know time, financial factors, and experience? Now, if we go back to lifetime goals, if becoming developing the skills required to be a, a CISO is realistic based on your experience and qualifications. Do you have the time to do that? And are the resources available? If you need to go ahead and get additional education or certifications, et cetera, can you afford to do that? Now, be careful when you're setting personal goals that someone else has the power over. For example, if your goal is get promoted to CISO or get that advancement, but that really depends on who else is applying for it, whoever uh, candidate or the people who are selecting it. But getting the experience and training you need to be considered for that promotion is entirely down to you. So we've been specific, measurable, achievable. How about relevant? This is about assuring that the task that is assigned aligns with relevant goals and it matters. Now, what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're responsible for doing this, such as, is it worthwhile? Is it the right time to do this? Does it match other efforts or needs that we have going on? And is this the right person to reach this goal? And is it applicable? Now, that's for a tasker, but again, for you as a career perspective, you might want to gain skills to become CISO within your organization, but is this the right time? And are you really the right person to do it? And so have you considered your spouse's goals? For example, if you want to start a family, uh, is going to 50, 60, 70 hour work, work, work weeks going to work out for you? Uh, I don't know of any 40 hour CISOs out there. Uh, there's a lot that goes into this job. And then lastly, time bound. Every task, every goal needs a target date. And this part helps ensure that people know when it can be done and by uh, what particular time. I found that a lot of goals and things such as that, a lot of tasking, the time bound tends to be the one that's missed the most, where we go ahead and say, I need this to be completed. Make sure that the completion is set to meet a particular deadline or a goal. That is to say, if you need something by Thursday, say I need it by 5 o'clock p.m. Thursday. Don't just say, please do this. Because what happens then is if you give somebody a tasker and there's no real deadline on it, uh, I'm looking at my desk here. I've got gee, it was 20, 25 different things I'm trying to knock out this week. And as I get them done, I all get lined out. Some of them have very specific deadlines, like recording this podcast. There's no way that I'm going to replace a non-time-bound item ahead of this and miss my deadline. 
And so from that perspective, these deadlines, these time bounds help people prioritize when they see that something is coming due. Now, they say there's nothing like the last minute to ensure that things get done, and some people operate that way. But it's also a good way to ensure when you have way too much on your inbox that you knock out those things that are important. Now, let me share with you a technique that I developed when I had command for the Center for Naval Leadership. Now, it was about 15 years ago, and I had responsibility for leadership training for about 70,000 sailors. I had a team of 160 instructors, 72 classrooms nationwide, and every week I'd hold a leadership call. And I would do that with my, my senior leaders, my commanding officers, my, chiefs of, my chief of staff. Now, here's what I did. During the week, I collected actions that required either input from my staff or things that I needed to inform my COs. I then prioritize those items with the most important items first. Think about that because it's going to come back. I then distributed those using a Word document and I used outline mode. I love outline mode. In fact, my notes for this show are in outline mode. And uh, as a result, it's structured paragraphs and we can find things pretty quickly by just kind of looking around, you know, at level one, level two, level three. I started exactly at 2100 hours Eastern time on Thursdays, 21000. In fact, the first couple of meetings actually got a time tick from time.gov, all right? It's military, you wanna go ahead and, and look like good. But I had staff all over the country. We couldn't meet in person. I was on the East Coast. I had commanding officers in central time zone, in the Pacific time zone. My chief of staff was down in North Carolina, but we went ahead and met weekly in the first item on my agenda was attendance. Do roll call. First week, a couple officers arrived late. So I marked them absent. And that one's what got published in the notes. Now, senior officers don't like that. And after a couple of weeks, guess what? Nobody was ever late again. If you create an expectation and stick to it, people will adjust to you. Do not do this. Oh yeah, let's wait a couple extra minutes to see who's uh, whoever chose to disrespect us and come in late. Now, if there's a valid reason for somebody coming in late, that happens. I get that. And we can backfill them on the information, but they still get missed on the roll call. Try that as a technique. Now, here's what I thought was a really useful innovation. Well, they took notes right into the agenda. And so that the agenda transformed itself into a record of our meeting. And because we addressed the issues in priority order, we never ran over. Because if the hour was ending, the least important items the things we didn't get to because they were at the bottom of the list, they can either be pushed to the following week or I just make an executive decision and do it. And as a result, we never, ever went over. Here's something else that I've never seen someone else do before. You're welcome to try it. Because if you're going to like to use the outline mode for Word for your notes and you keep your agenda and notes in it, create a new top-level paragraph for the next week on top of the last week's notes. And then what you do is you keep the same document going. So each week, your participants get a progressively longer Word document where the first paragraph block is the upcoming agenda. And every block before there is last week's, two weeks, three weeks ago, all of the notes that were captured and contained in that agenda. Now, by the end of the year, it was up to like a whopping 200K. I mean, nothing. I mean, it's a tiny file, but anybody could do a control find to find anything that we discussed previously. And that's a big deal because now what happens is everybody can be expected to say, hey, remember back on 
June 13th when we discuss such and such and everybody, boom, yes, let's take a look at it. So I dug up my notes from 15 years ago. Here's kind of what they sounded like. All right, CNL, CO conference call, uh, 2100, 1 December 2005. Okay, yeah. Dial-in number, here's my toll-free number, access code, lost comms procedure. If you cannot connect on the toll-free, here's a toll number, and dial-in no later than three minutes after the hour. So here's your primary, here's your backup, get in. Then the roll call, Captain Hardy, Captain Miller, Captain De Niro, Captain Butler, Captain Graff, Captain Marriott, Captain Malloy, Woods, wow, some names I haven't heard in a long time, Captain Tronis, Captain Smith, Captain Beacon, Captain O'Brien, Captain Johnson, and Master Chief Poinsett, I had my senior enlisted advisor on those calls. And then first up would be me as the headquarters commanding officer. And we went into talking about here are the issues that we had with respect to manpower and billets, getting our funding, getting the impact of a continuing resolution, because at that particular year, we were having problems with the federal government funding what we needed to do, moving billets from one city to another, a change from our facilitator count, requested of budgets and things such as that. Then I took notes directly into that agenda. So what I see now is actually what the outcome was, some of these things, if we had to do it. In this case, I'm informing my commanding officers. Each one of us ran a particular region in the United States and then went over to looking at support for being able to do organizational support, brought in a guest speaker to cover that, sources for travel funding, participation, leadership development program, blah, 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 blah. My command master chief talking about advancement exams for our enlisted folks. And then I went down the list of my staff. Now, in the military, we have staff that are numbers. It'd be similar to what you'd have. And this, again, is more of a CEO than a CISO type of a function. But if you've got a large enough organization, you've got different staff. We've got manpower, operations, logistics, plans and policy, technology, training, finance. These are the different elements that we would go through there. And then we'll finish up there in terms of the next call. And then I see my notes here. It says, uh, I've gone from weekly to it says the next conference call is going to be biweekly. Now to 15 December. I'm going to be on a plane, so I'm going to have my chief of staff generate an agenda. And then here's some action items. And there we go. And so what I had then is just kind of dug this out of my archives. But what I saw, and it's kind of interesting going back and looking at how this was, I set this up, is that every week, or then when, I guess this is the last of the weekly, went to bi-weekly ones. Everybody knew what was going to go on. They knew when they were in the, coming up in the agenda, what the questions were. And these were not questions that I just asked because I wanted to have everybody in a meeting, but I wanted to make sure that they were all available um, on that call because other people would need to know about it. And so as a result, what we find then is you can run effective meetings by making sure that you have a structured approach. And there are also ways, well, not to run a meeting. Now, interestingly enough, in 1944, uh, the predecessor of the CIA was known as the Office of Strategic Services, or OSS, Wild Bill Donovan. And they published a document entitled the Simple Sabotage Field Manual. Now, it originally was classified as secret, but it's been declassified, and you can find a copy of it on Project Gutenberg's site. And uh, allow me to quote a paragraph, if I may. A simple sabotage requires no destructive tools whatsoever and produces physical damage, if any, by highly indirect means. It's based on a universal opportunities to make faulty decisions, to adopt a non-cooperative attitude, 
and to induce others to follow suit. Making a faulty decision may be simply a matter of placing tools in one spot instead of another. A non-cooperative attitude may involve nothing more than creating an unpleasant situation among one's fellow workers, engaging in bickerings, or displaying surliness and stupidity. I sound like anything you relate to or whatever. It's kind of scary. Well, Anyway, this is, again, recommendations for how to screw things up. And this is actually published out there. So essentially, if you want to stop an organization from working, let's try these eight simple steps. And these are listed in that OSS manual as, quote, general interference with organizations in production. Now, just listen and think about how many times you've heard this in your career. Number one, insist on doing everything through channels. Never permit shortcuts to be taken in order to expedite decisions. Number two, make speeches. Talk as frequently as possible and at great length. Illustrate your points by long anecdotes and accounts of personal experiences. Never hesitate to make a few appropriate patriotic comments. Number three, when possible, refer all matters to committees for, quote, further study and consideration. Attempt to make the committees as large as possible, never less than five. Number four, bring up irrelevant issues as frequently as possible. Number five, haggle over precise wordings of communications, minutes, resolutions. Number six, refer back to matters decided upon at the last meeting and attempt to reopen the question of the advisability of that decision. Number seven, advocate caution, be reasonable, and urge your fellow conferees to be reasonable, avoid haste, which might result in embarrassments or difficulties later on. And number eight, be worried about the propriety of any decision. Raise the question of whether such action, as is contemplated, lies within the jurisdiction of the group or whether it might conflict with the policy of some higher echelon. Did these, yeah, and, and that's the advice for how to screw things up for somebody. Now, there's a couple other that are suggestions for managers and supervisors. Misunderstand orders, ask endless questions, or engage in long correspondence about such orders. Quibble over them when you can. Here we go. Hold conferences when there is more critical work to be done. Multiply paperwork in plausible ways. Start duplicate files. And apply all regulations to the last letter. Does any of this sound familiar? Now, these are things you need to watch out for in your meetings. You want to avoid them at all costs. All right, so let's summarize. I tried to provide you with some structure for meetings for ways that we could go ahead and look at the effective elements. One of the things that we want to ensure is that we distribute an agenda in advance, start on time, take good notes, assign meaningful, smart follow-on tasks, and then end on time. These smart tasks are specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and then time-bound. When you're holding your meetings, ensure that you only invite the right people, that they are engaged, that you are generating decisions, or you're informing the people that it is appropriate to inform in a group setting. If there's just a broadcast message to let everybody know, hey, this is out there, send an email. But if you expect there needs to be some clarification, and usually if one person has a question, a lot of people do, but the others won't ask, then a meeting might make a little bit more sense. Consider taking your notes 
into the agenda file and then building up week after week this agenda slant note file like I had suggested. That worked really well for me in a leadership role. It gives everybody all your notes very quickly in terms of what you have to take a look at from past meetings. And you can then, by prioritizing your action items, make sure that you never have to run over. This is going to help make you better as a leader. People won't mind coming to your meetings when they know that you respect their time, you're starting right on schedule, you will never, ever run over, and useful things come out of it. If you want to run a security organization in your enterprise, or really any other leadership role, communications is essential skill. And being able to do so one-on-one -on -one or one-to-many, or even facilitating many-to-many, is an important element that really is written down in terms of the technical skill sets, but it helps to create your professional reputation. And if you're known as somebody who can be relied upon not to waste other people's time, then you're going to get better cooperation and you're going to get better visibility. As a result, it's going to improve your career path as a chief information security officer, as a security leader. Guess what? We finished early, and I'm going to return the time back to you, just like I said I'd like to do with regard to running effective meetings. So thank you again for listening in. This is G. Mark Hardy with the CISO Tradecraft. Please apply these lessons learned to your career. Share this with other professionals so that they can do well in their career. And until next time, stay safe.